It's Friday night and you're at the video store. The place is a mob scene. People clutching tapes in both hands, bumping into other customers as they hurry to the checkout counter. Like a magnet, you're drawn to the horror section. Surrounded by all the beautiful cover art, you begin to panic. So many titles, so little time, and the store is about to close. Suddenly, two figures emerge from the shadows. Their name tags announce Mikey and Maddie. They will guide you on this journey, for they are the purveyors of truth and good taste. Your video store hosts to take you on a fun ride through all the best in horror. So it's time to light the candles, and as the flint creates a spark, remember, you're never really alone in the dark. Good evening. This is cursed. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. It's Miller time. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Whatever you do, don't fall. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Alone in the Dark podcast, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Maddie. What's going on, Maddie? Hey, Mike. What is going on, dude? May Flowers, Maddie. May Flowers is happening right now. We are in May, and we are going to be doing episode 76, Horror Outsiders. Maddie, you want to tell everybody real quick what, what uh, this episode is going to be about tonight? Oh, Mike, I've been uh, I've been planning this one for the better part of two years, probably now. I know uh, I sent you a note, and you probably three different <laughs> times because <laughs> I sent them usually years in advance, and you kind of end up like just like losing them or not losing them, but just setting them <laughs> aside and just not knowing how far back you need to go to retrieve it. But um, yeah, how are outsiders, dude? So we're talking about the fish out of water tale, Mike, the classic, you know, stranger in a strange land where the person goes to someplace completely different or somewhere where they're new. And uh, either they're, you know, they affect the place somehow, or they're affected by where they are uh, somehow. But you know, they're they're in they're in a different place completely, maybe a different time completely. We don't know. Um, and they are outsiders. They are fish out of water. They are outsiders, Mike. Yeah, and it's it's some of like my favorite. You know, I'm big into screenplays. You know, and story, Matt. And it's like some of my favorite movies is that story of that person or thing that arrives to a new place. Um, whether they're there on purpose or they're there by accident, but it's, it's kind of a fascinating story and it's, as we'll learn tonight, it can be a fascinating story in the genre of horror, correct? Of course. I mean, cause we're, I mean, listen, back to the future is on our, on our mutual cumulative, like the top five, easily film of all time. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. For me, for classic, sure. f- classic fish out of water, classic horror, out, you know, not horror, but an outsider tale. Yes. Um, but we got some really interesting ones, I think, on the, on our list tonight for horror, and I'm really excited about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'm excited that we're finally getting into this topic, because uh, like you said, it was kind of a long time coming. So uh, before we jump into the episode, though, we have a few things to do here on our end, and just wanted to uh, give, Maddie and I wanted to give a huge shout out to our latest Friday Night Frights that we just had this past Friday, Matt. And what did we screen over there at the Atlantic Movie House in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey? Well, considering the date of this previous fr- past Friday was fr- the only of 2022, the only Friday the 13th that we're going to have. Yeah. Uh, and on the inter- and on the 34th, I believe, 34th anniversary of the release of The New Blood, we actually watched the one prior to that, Part 6, Jason Lives. Yeah. Man, oh man. And, and 
what that, a what a fun like you know we were talking after right it was like such a fun audience film to watch on the big screen you know that movie kills 35 years later it, 36 years later it was just amazing because like we've done a bunch of these you know at the atlantic movie house and they've been good and we've gotten some audience reaction but i would say out of all of them this is the one that got the most audience reaction you know just the cheers and the and the 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 kind of the groans and you know it, it, the laughs like it, it was really entertaining to see with an audience and mike as that's funny you're right it was it was definitely the best audience film in the film that that we've seen so many times to watch with an audience yeah mm-hmm. and as we do these things man the age gap yes. is like widening we have like these we have like kids like 10 years old coming to the theater with their parents i know i know and then we have like you know el, el, you know older people a little bit and it's freaking great man it's cool it's a good mix of people and like i said to you and to the theater owner tony over there i said every screening i noticed there's a group of people that i've never seen before so it's growing and people are coming and you know we've had some great comments um, you know, it's just, it's nice to see that people come out and enjoy it. So, uh, so that was super fun. So thanks to everyone. And she, yeah, well, shout out to a toxic coffin. Mike. Oh, absolutely. Toxic coffin was nice enough to donate some t-shirts for our trivia. And, uh, they were a huge hit. Everyone was just, just saying how great the t-shirts looked. It was amazing. So, uh, toxic coffin, thank you so much. And they are sponsoring our next event, Matt, which I can tell you right now, I'm just check, double checking the date here. But it's going to be at the end of June, on June 24th, Friday, June 24th, we are showing Jaws, Maddie, which is going to be Uh, awesome. So I am so excited. So we're working on that. The tickets for that will be available real soon. We're actually going to start charging, Matt. There's going to be $5 a ticket from now on. We did some free ones, but um, just to you know, sort of keep keep the uh, events going and make it worth the theater owner's while, uh, we're yes. going to have to start charging. But 5 bucks is nothing. To be a part of seeing the movie on the big screen, uh, having a chance to win some trivia, we usually have some props or something there that sort of uh, has to do with the film that we're showing. Um, yes. There's a whole pre-show before. Uh, it, it's just a good time, and we're looking into actually. Um, this is something that you know. It's it. The theater owner told me it's BYOB. There, you can bring your own. But we're looking into actually. I'm talking to Mikey D. Maddie about uh, going to. He's friends with the people over at the Belford Brewery. So we're talking about maybe seeing if they'll donate some growlers and uh, having some beer for people to drink. So fingers crossed. Beautiful. Hopefully that'll work. But uh, if anyone's listening that do come to the events, if you wanted to bring your own, you are welcome to. Uh, that's so nice of Tony to say that. Um, but there's also great snacks and stuff at the theater as well. So looking forward to Jaws. And then, uh, you know, we have definitely planned out the rest of the year. So it's going to be super fun. So, so oh, yeah. So thank, thanks to everyone coming out for Friday Night Frights. Maddie and I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, what else, Matt? Patreon. You want to talk about Patreon? Yes, Svan, uh, Svan Portillo, our latest uh, patron, man. Great dude. Such a nice, nice, humble dude. And he reached out to us um, and just told us how much he, um, he really enjoyed the podcast. I think you posted recently on Insta about, about his uh, his review that he gave us, a beautiful yeah, review. Yeah, we posted that, which was nice. And, you know, that's just a reminder to anybody who hasn't written us a review on Apple Podcasts to please go and do that for us. It really helps us a lot. You know, it helps people discover our podcast and sends them our way. Um, you can also leave us a review over on uh, Spotify, too. So if you uh, listen to us on Spotify, you can just leave like a star review. So uh, that helps us as well. So we'd appreciate that. But Svon. 
Vaughn, thank you so much. Uh, we have another bonus episode coming this month, so everybody look forward to that. Um, and you can go check us out on patreon.com slash alone in the dark podcast. So please do that. If you uh, like what you hear and you want some bonus content, you can do that. And then uh, one thing we talked about doing, Matt, from the future, we're going to do a, a thing at the beginning of the episode called Horror Spotlight. We're each going to talk about something just briefly that we've seen or heard about or excited about. Um, And I'll go first, Matt. There is a show that uh, I forget who told me about it. Someone told me about a show uh, called From and it is on, I believe. Oh, man, I'm going to forget this right now, but it is on. uh, What what station is it? You know, I saw it. On, it's on. It's on Epics. It's on Epics. You're right. It's on Epics. Thank you, Matt. It's on Epics. Um, but it's somewhere else right now. They put the first four episodes on something, and I can't think of it right now. It might have been Amazon. I'm not really sure. I think it, I think it was Amazon because I think Epics puts a lot of their things on on Amazon. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Sounds like. Do you, you hear this? Yeah. What's going on up there? So, so I'm I'm going to give you some some a little bit. This is my life. So those of you that aren't on Patreon, this is going to get a little glimpse of my life. My son comes downstairs and actually films me from from the steps to like go as like a prank yeah like just films me and then goes and shows my wife like in bed look dad's podcasting like like it's some secret that i'm like doing dirty thing in the basement or something right you're doing it's like a dirty deed or something (laughs) it's a dirty deed so he was just here i was i gave him the finger a couple times so you can try to video that get that on video too But he's he's literally videoing me from the stairs and taking pictures, so he can. I don't even know what to do with it, but that's that's amazing. Maybe he has like a separate. He has like his own Instagram account that he's posting pictures of dad, you know, in the basement or something. like it's that. It's funny. Neither of my kids have Instagram accounts, so that's good. no. I know. I'm just but, kidding. Uh, but um, anyway, so f- from Maddie. So really quick, from the plot of the show is really cool, and I'd love for you to check it out at some point. It's one of those things where they drive into. Te- it's like a. It's like you drive in and then you try to leave and then you end up you at the can't. same place all over. Yeah. Again. Right. So it's like this town. It it's sort of starts with you kind of see the town but this town is like it's like a trap like you're in this old town and you're trapped and there's all these people that either grew up there or ended up there but what's freaky is there's like uh past sundown there's like these monsters that come out and you don't really you don't really know are they vampires are they like demons like you don't really know but they're really vicious and they'll attack you and you know rip you apart to shreds basically so it's pretty intense and uh it's actually there's some really scary moments and the acting is pretty good you know what i mean it's like for television it kind of reminds me of sort of like the walking dead kind of you know vibe um but it's it's a really really well done show i've only watched the first four episodes but i'm really into it i think it's super cool um and i can't wait to see where they go with it it's got some lost vibes in there as well isn't there a lost connection is there other producers or writers or some attached to that well, show you know what? i didn't look that deep into it but you might be right you know what i mean but um i think it's definitely worth checking out if you guys are into you know that sort of like freaky sort of television you know lost ish you know twist kind of stuff um i would definitely check it out but there's definitely a huge monster element involved uh that's really well done that that's got like a spooky vibe so i would definitely recommend that for sure. My son just sent me four pictures that he had taken of me. He sent oh, them to me. Was it like via ransom or something? Or <laughs> It's like some close-ups. He zoomed in on some oh, shots of me. Yeah, my dog does that all the mic. time where they take those really obnoxious <laughs> photos and it's like your your eye or nose or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So, Matt, that was my horror spotlight. What would you like to spotlight for this episode? Well, well it's interesting, Mike, because I was watching... Um, 
I was scrolling through net, uh, not Netflix. I was scrolling through Instagram, and this film came up with uh, Re- what's her name, um, Re- Rebecca Hall, and she's an actress. She's very tall, thin. You'd know, know her. She's a really good actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw Tim Roth at, from you know like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, um, and it's cool. She's like this mom uh, of a of a, you know, she has her life in order. She's successful and everything's under control and then she you know she's like has a young daughter that she takes care of and then it says that is until david returns carrying with him the horrors of margaret's past Ooh! so the guy rolls back in with like a whole i guess a bunch of goods on her that was really dark from her past so it's kind of got this horror thriller psychological bent to it it really looks cool it's called resurrection i can't wait interesting that's cool so is this like a festival thing right now or is it gonna i think it's coming out in august okay uh, it's come yeah i think it's releasing in august 5th is uh, is the street date that it's coming out in theaters or is it i believe so oh, okay I believe gotcha. it would be a it wouldn't be a you know a marvel uh type of release right probably but it'll, it'll i should should be in regular theaters no that's cool that's exciting excellent very cool looking forward to that so that was oh, yeah. resurrection you said yes excellent cool all right matt i think we're ready to get into this episode 76 horror outsiders and i'm trying to think who uh who wants to go first well mike you know, you and I came here, okay? We came here tonight to chew bubblegum and do a podcast. <laughs> and we're all out of bubblegum, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to go first as usual, Okay, Mike. you got it, Maddie. Go for it. All right, so uh, we're going to go my number five here because we're going to count down in descending order mm-hmm. from five to one. And my first pick for Outsiders and Horror, Mike, is a gem this is the third film in a trilogy and it's mr sam raimi's 1992 film army of darkness ash took a weekend trip through time to the pit with him he was trapped and kidnapped but they couldn't make him join how do you stop it the army of darkness from the director of Darkman comes army of darkness rated r starts friday february 19th at theaters everywhere now i know this is a movie that you know you and i have sort of debated about a little bit just because this is definitely not a favorite of mine in that that trilogy you know what i mean it's it's one i think no. i've only seen maybe a couple times but sure uh but i'm you know i think you hit it the nail on the head it's definitely like it's probably the the quintessential horror outsider film correct oh my god mike let <laughs> I me mean, listen i mean listen first of all bruce campbell is is a national treasure we all know this oh absolutely um, but he does this cool narration of events you know leading into the actual film where he kind of does the you know a little recap of the other two films yeah and it's such, you know, it, it's so stylized. It's hyper stylized. I mean, Raimi, this is Raimi. And I mean, whether you like, love this film or not, it's it's, it's so Raimi. Um, you know, he has this Tim Burton, Henry Selleck. If you've ever seen like Coraline or like, uh, you know, some of that claymation stop motion stuff that yes. Henry Selleck does. Really awesome. But, you know, that, there's some of that here. Um, you know, it has that Ray Harryhausen stylistic uh, thing from like Clash of the Titans too as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That stop motion style, right? Exactly. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's so it, it's whether, like I said, whether you love this movie or not, I my God, you can't get any more fish out of water than this. I mean, yeah. it's a, it, he's this snarky S smart hardware store employee <laughs> and he gets transported 600 years into the past into medieval England. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so obviously Ash's presence in this world, it, it's going to change it 
somehow. And I, I think obviously <laughs> he's going to change it for the better after, after the course of the film. Right. You know, even though he's a man at a time, Mike, you know, a stranger in a strange land, the people, they need him. Yeah. The people here. Mm-hmm. You know, he, so he changes this world for the better. Uh, I originally actually had another, uh, I think I had Joe Dante's matinee um, in this slot, which is a yeah, really, really great love, film. Yeah, I love that movie, for sure. It's a great movie. I don't know how, I mean, it straddles a lot, because, you know, it's Joe Dante, but is it really horror, Is my was my question. Right, right. I mean, sure, we, we include things that, that aren't exactly, you know, sh- that are things that are fringy. So, yep. I, so I would have included it. Um, But as I continue to think about this, Mike, it just, you know, it just, this movie dropped into my brain like Ash's Oldsmobile 88 drops through the dimensional portal <laughs> smack into the 1300s, you know? It just had to go. And, um, you know, an $11 million budget for this one. Yeah. Um, but Joseph DeLuca's score, Mike, it's so huge. It, it's, it makes it feel like $111 million. <laughs> I mean, it's like fucking Jerry Goldsmith. Um, it, it's, it's very big. different from the Evil Dead movies, that's for sure, right? It takes a yes. different step, you know, for this for this third movie. <laughs> and Mike, I really think you got to give this movie a watch again because this movie has this rollicking, fun adventure feel to it, right? That I think that I think you would. That's part of the movie. I think that you really do appreciate about it. Yeah, is that you know, it, first it's baffling to me too how pe- more people didn't go theatrically to see this. Yeah, I I think maybe the reviews came in or something or, you know, to me, it's like it's almost like the Halloween three of like, you know, the Halloween franchise where people were so kind of annoyed by the fact that it wasn't horror. Or they heard it wasn't horror. And maybe that sent people. Oh, dude, you know, it's horror, man. And, and dude, Ash is the most Ash in this movie. Like probably, you know, you could make an argument, obviously, for that. But I mean, he's one of the greatest accidental heroes of cinema. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Audience could audiences like could cheer for him, especially in 1992. They're like horror was down and out in the early 90s we know this yeah absolutely right yeah so i mean why not bruce campbell why not like this is his only like absolutely unequivocal starring role like this is the biggest role he's he had as a leading man yeah yeah and the fact that it failed miserably other than baba hotep which also failed miserably around this time right um you know dude i mean he his one of his first lines to henry the red he goes well hello mr fancy pants he goes you ain't leading but two things right now jack and shit and jack left town i mean it's so great it's so bruce campbell i mean the lines in this are just oh my god he's got more lines than like freddy krueger you know i think oh as my a character, god yes. right he's just loaded oh, he does. <laughs> it does dude i mean it's chock full of these little magic moments like they throw they throw one of Henry the Red's men into this pit, right? And it gets totally, totally, absolutely drop dead silent. Mm-hmm. And then everyone starts leaning in, you know, wondering like what what happened? Like the guy fell in the pit and there's nothing. Yeah. And they're waiting and all of a sudden a geyser of gore just shoots out like all over the <laughs> all over the people that are gathered and it's and it's such a Raimi thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it has some shade it has some echoes of like Evil Dead too. You know how the the gore is just flowing oh in that my one. God. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's not all over the place, but this scene, it just has that throwback, you know? Oh, that's um, excellent. <laughs> and the scene where he blows the end off of, um, Arthur's sword with his boomstick. And, <laughs> and then he proceeds to do his S smart sales pitch for the Remington 12 gauge double barrel Remington shotgun for the gathered crowd that have no idea what he's talking about. Oh, that's about. right. You, it's almost like a commercial, right? He's like, it is amazing. Oh, that's I mean, great. That's so funny. <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, Sam Raimi's direction, it's note perfect dude his the camera work is amazing as you know anything he does um it, it's so frenetic but yet it he somehow makes it seem so controlled and calculated even though it seems like it's out of control yeah yeah you know it's it's zooming and whipping and dollying these close-ups of bruce, bruce campbell you know as he delivers these ridiculous delicious one-liners that you probably either cringe at now or you're just like oh man i needed that with my day just got better 
Um, you know, there's the deadites, of course, and the fight scene. I'm like, and th- listen, this is the largest Three Stooges movie that was ever filmed. Like that's that, that's really what I consider this kind of movie. You know, I, what's not to love? I don't think it's ever been this? referred to as a Three Stooges movie before. Matt, well, but. Sam Raimi stuff definitely has has been referred to. I think as Three Stooges quite a bit. But I mean, this me saying this is the biggest Three Stooges movie. I don't know if that's ever been said. But however. What's not to love, Mike, about this film? And I think you need to revisit it, and other people that are listening to this definitely need to revisit it. Yeah, I'll go back and check it out for sure. Yeah, man, so that was my number five. So what is your number five, Mike? My number five, Matt, is the film Freaky, directed by our new favorite new director, Chris Landon. That's me, Millie. My life was pretty normal. Until the night I switched bodies with a serial killer. Hello? Oh my God, why do I sound like that? Freaky, right? Sorry. Oh, that's your face. Okay. I'm just a girl. I can't wait to kill you. I'm just a girl. Time to stab this asshole. murder barbie wow freaky man okay so just to give everybody because you know i feel like this is a movie that some people may have not seen yet because you know of of reasons of just thinking about it of being like you know people that aren't into horror comedies or you know might not might not have seen it. i feel like it you know it came out around the time of covid so people weren't really rushing out to to see a, a, a movie, but it's a story about a killer named the Blissfield Butcher uh, <laughs> who comes back to Slash, but he triggers a spell by using an ancient dagger and magically swaps bodies with an awkward teen named Millie. Um, so, it, you know, and you've seen this, Matt. You just watched it recently. In, yes. In the movie, you essentially get two strangers or two outsiders, right? Because Of course. Because one, you know, they're both in, in different bodies, so they're experiencing that, uh, you know, at the same time. And I know the Blissfield Butcher technically is, I think he's from that town, you know what I mean? But he kind of it definitely plays it like he doesn't know the town. So I'm a little confused by that. Do you know, like, <laughs> like they're talking about the Blissfield Butcher like it's, you know, like it's like a, a lore of this town, but like when he's, he, you know, when he's there walking around, you know, it, it seems like he's doesn't really know the area very well. So I'm a little confused by that. But. No, I don't think I don't think he. I don't. They don't. They don't give you the necessarily the the feeling that he's from the town. Like he's just kind of wandering around on this killing spree. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I just feel like there's certain locations, but maybe maybe it's just like you know he's been hiding out for a while or something like that. I don't really yes. get the that part of the plot, but I really did enjoy this movie. Um, I you know some things I love Millie uh, as a character. You know she's very awkward. I think it's kind of like a character a lot of people can relate to. Uh, she's kind of like a nerd, right, in her school. Um, oh yeah, she gets made fun of her clothes because they're like hand me downs. Yep. Um, from like a Salvation Army, I think it's like that's where her mom works. It's like sort of like a five and dime sort of like clothing store. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. so she gets made fun of for that. I love her friends. Um, I forget her friends' names. Uh, Nyla, Matter of fact, is that Nyla is that where they Josh? switch places? 
What's don't that? They switch places? Don't they switch places in the the waiting or the changing room of the her mom's store? Is that where they actually make the change or the? No, no, they change at the uh, at the beginning oh, of the, the field, movie at the, the football at the field. football field when football Millie field, is right. like she's like the mascot, you know, and that's like, right, all daggers. the football players are like throwing stuff at her and stuff like that, and uh, that's where everybody leaves and she gets left because her mom fell asleep. Remember, and right, then right, the right. Blissfield butcher comes. You know, he's sort of looking to find somebody. Um, but I just like Millie as a character, um, and I just think it's so funny the fact that Millie's sort of this small, awkward teen, right? And the Blissfield Butcher, played by oh. Vince Vaughn, is this huge, menacing man. You know, like you know, you couldn't get more manly than than Vince Vaughn. He's just, you know, you can almost smell the manliness on him. You know what I mean? It's just kind of funny. Um, oh, it's the, both of them do do such a remarkable job um, in the other shoes in this film yes and like i said at the beginning some people might have been turned off by this seeing the trailer thinking oh it's a horror comedy it's like happy death day there's not going to be gore but matt i think you'll agree the, the gore in this this movie is pretty brutal man it's it like is brutal it is messed up and vince vaughn you know his opening scene with those those two uh with that that t- the teens at that party they're just yes. like hanging out you know at their house i couldn't believe it it gets there pretty quick you know what i mean it's like insane I think there's a scene with a bottle, right? With a wine bottle, a broken wine oh, yeah. bottle. That, that is nasty. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. So wh- and wh- it shoves it right down the kid's throat. Yeah, it's like it's it's intense. And the, the effects are really cool. You know what I mean? I'm sure a lot of it's CGI, but I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteeing a lot of it was practical, too, just by the look of it, you know? Um, it's awesome. I mean, this movie is so much fun. Anybody that that's, that's snobby about this kind of stuff really needs to take a step back and go watch this movie again because it is so much fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so just to get into it a little more, Matt, you know, once they switch bodies, um, you know, you, you, like I said, you think it's a comedy, but it's totally full force horror, you know? Um, there's a lot of, lot of gore. Uh, and seeing these characters have to act as though they're in the other person's body is like a really good time. It's super fun. It's got that. It is. Yeah, it's got that fun, entertaining value. Um and I, what I love, the butcher in Millie's body is great because not only is she in a female, or he's in a female body, he's also in a teenage body. So there's like some really great moments when the butcher is like harassed by teen boys and the payoff on these moments are like amazing. Like the revenge, oh, yeah. you know, the revenge moments are great. Yes. Um, and, you know, Millie being in the butcher's body, the Blissfield butcher's body is also just as entertaining because she's like perplexed by like male genitalia, doesn't know her own strength, which is really fun. <laughs> that's like the fun scene with her friends, Nyla and Josh, you know, when she's trying to convince them that it's me, it's oh, Millie. Oh, that's the, my favorite part when they're chasing her around the kitchen at school. Yes. And they have that big fight and she like throws her friend Nyla and she's like, oh my God, I'm so strong. <laughs> it's just great. It's so funny. Um so some favorite moments for me are the kills. Like we talked about, the kills are in- insane, Matt. They're really yes. good. Um, the opening of the film, we talked about the bottle, the broken bottle. That's a really oh, good one. But I don't know about you, Matt. My favorite kill has to be with uh, the woodshed teacher played by Alan Ruck, who plays Cameron oh, in Ferris God. Bueller's Day Off. Yes. He's an asshole in this movie. Oh, my God. But I don't know if you got it, Matt. I got some, like, Christopher Landon must have been a fan of Intruder because I was, that yes. scene uh, with with uh, Alan Rook, the uh, the, the woodshop teacher, is I feel like totally. he's heavily influenced by a scene in Intruder that if you haven't seen Intruder, uh, you need to go watch that one. We've talked about that one in the past, too. But, right, um, which, Fear, which Fear Street 1994 also kind yes, of borrowed. Yes, yes, you're right. You're right. 
So in the end, I know it's kind of like this perfectly wrapped package, you know, that some people are turned off by, you know, in a horror film uh, with the bow right on top and a perfect, you know, perfectly pulled and, you know, but I, I just think it's super fun. I, I just really enjoyed it. And you really get this, this, this outsider feel because these two characters being in each other's bodies, you know, uh, swapped like that. It's, it's like, uh, it just goes with that whole plot and goes with the whole theme of tonight's podcast. So I really love oh, it. Oh, it was such a fun, such a perfect movie for this kind of list mike i'm really glad you chose it oh thanks manny so that's my number five matt so let's get into your number four what do you got oh mike what do i have you know what i have mike what do you have outlander (laughs) i'm going back to 1984 and we're going to children of the corn yes dude They are the children of the corn. They must obey he who walks among the rows. And they live in a world where adults are not allowed to live. Children of the corn. A new kind of nightmare. An adult nightmare. Stephen King's Children of the Corn. Rated R. Coming Friday. Check local newspapers for theaters and showtimes. Yes. Mike. The film that launched an unfathomable seven sequels. How the hell did this happen? It's it's one of those franchises, Matt. They just keep milking it, right? Oh, my God. I mean, okay, the fish out of water angle, it's interesting in this movie because obviously Bert and Vicky are strangers in the strange land. They're, yep. they're in Gatlin, Gatlin, Nebraska. Yep, you get that, right? But then you have the, the what's cool is you have these children, Job and Sarah, who were the young kids who live among the children, the, the, the cult of the, chil- the children of the corn. Yep. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to be a part of it at all. So they're, they're their own fish out of water story. Um, so again, two sets of outsiders. And uh, Bert is like Jack Burton in Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. He's inept. He's completely out of his depth. Right. Um, I call this movie the Amish Lord of the Flies, Mike, is what I call this movie. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, good way to describe it for sure. <laughs> Because my son was just reading that um, for his British lit class. Oh, but, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the, you know, it's an evil killer kids film as well as being this children in peril film at the same time. Um, I'm always intrigued by this present by this premise where there are essentially no adults like anywhere around. Right? Yep. I mean, that's a really cool premise. Well, there were adults, Matt, in the beginning of the film well, that we've were. talked about before, but yes. Your favorite, your favorite <laughs> scenes ever. Oh my God, please. <laughs> I mean, really, you gave you nightmares over and over <laughs> It again. really did. It did when I was a kid for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that beginning is fantastic. Um, haunting um, John, Jonathan Elias's score, Mike, with the little kids like singing the arias, like it's really awesome. Oh yeah, it's uh, creepy the, as hell. It's the got choir. Like, it's got like Nightmare on Elm Street vibes, sort of. You know, yeah, it's got Poltergeist. It's got a, yeah. it's got a little bit of all this kind of really like the mm-hmm. sing along kids choir thing, and that's always scary. Yep. So, Mike, in Stephen King's original screenplay, interestingly enough, everybody dies. Oh, like, really? Yeah, Vicky's killed by the kids. Bert's off by the he who walks behind the rose uh, guy, uh, being whatever you want to call him, otherworldly thing. Um, and the balls of screenwriter George Goldsmith, who apparently said that Stephen King didn't know the difference between writing a book and writing a movie. Can you imagine he said that? <laughs> That's pretty harsh. <laughs> and, you know, okay, so <laughs> that opening scene in the coffee shop, I mean, you said it a hundred times, you know, there's Isaac watching from outside. Yep. We, we've, just, we've talked about this because he made our Christmas naughty list one year. He made my naughty list yep. on that. <laughs> so if you go back and listen to that, that was fun. Yeah, that was great. Also, I love the scene where they meet the little girl at the house and Vicky asks her name and the little girl says, Sarah. And Vicky goes, that's a beautiful name because 
Linda Hamilton, who is who who uh, is in this film, yes. playing Vicky, she later on in the year would play Sarah in the Terminator. Sarah, that's Connor. right, that's right. So how cool of a coincidence is that little scene? That know? is so funny. I love it. I wonder if she knew at this time uh, of filming this whether you know what I mean. Whether that was yeah, if she knew the character's the name. Was that like a little little like a hidden nod? You know what I mean to right. the character she was about to play, possibly. Maybe, but speaking of the Terminator, Mike, I mean, uh, Linda Hamilton sure wishes she had Kyle Reese around in this movie because <laughs> uh, in the first scene, we meet Vicky and Bert, Mike, in the hotel room. She obviously has this beautifully romantic birthday morning planned for Bert, okay? And he's just not into it at all. You know, he's a simple guy, Mike. He's the kind of guy who likes sleeping and traveling. Yeah. She serenades him. She throws herself at him. He does everything in his power not to sleep with poor Linda Hamilton. <laughs> I mean, Kyle Reese would have manned up and pleased his girl. I mean, come on, Mike. If, and if Teddy from Friday 4 were here, Mike, you know what he would call Bert? What? A dead fuck, ah. Mike. <laughs> All right? You know it as well as I do. It says... It says you're a dead fuck. What? That's exactly what I got to get in my computer. <laughs> Why don't you put that in your little computer, Teddy? Yeah. <laughs> And then there's John Franklin, Mike, who plays Isaac. We've talked about this before. He's a 24-year-old man. He's, uh, you know, he had that, that syndrome where he didn't grow. Yes. Um, but and he, he basically, what I think, my theory is he grew up to be the grandfather from Hack lantern That's my, uh, my theory. <laughs> was he really 24 when he made that with the he first was, movie? He, yeah, in this film. Oh, in, my uh, gosh. Yeah, he was. Wow. But Malachi, Mike, takes over, okay? Yeah. I mean, he is the man. I mean, he's, was it Courtney Gaines? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. You shit on my house, man. He used to shit on the house, man, from Can't yes, Buy Me Love. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> he's love taking it. his revenge for people shitting on his house already. Four years early here. <laughs> but I mean, John Franklin goes for it. That's why I call him the, uh, he grows up into, into be the uh, grandfather of Hackland. He is going for it. He's, I mean, if this was Spinal Tap, the director, Rob Reiner, would have just told Isaac, put it up to 11 for the whole entire movie, dude. Yes. Because you are just going and going and playing every scene at 11. It's amazing. Have you, speaking of, just real quick to interject, did you hear they're doing a, a sequel to This Is Spinal Tap? I did. That's exciting. That's pretty cool. That's <laughs> kind of interesting. It definitely yeah. is an interesting I'm take looking, on that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to where they go with that. But anyway, sorry, continue, Matty. No, no, no. I'm just saying I think I think we all benefit. The audience benefits from his uh, his performance, his hugeness that he brings to everything in this in this movie. Right. But this, the freakiest scene might just be the, uh, the I don't even remember how clearly you remember it, but the accident in the beginning when they're driving down the road in broad daylight. Yes, I do remember that scene. And he mows that kid down. Yes. I mean, it, it, it's again, it's broad daylight. You're not expecting there. I mean, you do. He's fumbling with the map a bit and whatever. And but there's the kid and it was just. Bam. I mean, oh, I mean, apparently, Mike, the special effects at the end of the film, I think they were done by Hanna-Barbera, I think. Are you Saturday serious? No, dude, it's a joke. Um, <laughs> if you watch the end of this movie, it looks like you're watching Saturday morning cartoons in 1983 or in 1984. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is what they do to King, though, right? Right in, the, in, in this part of his career, though, this is what they do. They, they adapt his works, and they have these ha heavy fantasy elements at times, and the effects just can't possibly be up to par. No way. Absolutely not. But what's funny about this budget is, I mean, talk about Stephen King. He, he, chewed, he chewed the budget by 40% because the budget was, was 1.3 mil. And he literally took half a mil just for attaching his name to say, by the author of or, or oh, from Stephen really? King. Just to use his name because they had to use his name in the marketing of the movie because that, that was the whole, oh, their whole plan. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, that's how they get people in the seats, right? 
So the 1.3 mil like literally became an $800,000 budget and there there went the special effects budget obviously yeah. and that's why Hanna Barbera Hanna Barbera joke by the way <laughs> had to step in and do and, and do the Saturday morning cartoon version of the end of this movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, you know the, the the perils of cocaine Mike Uncle Stevie's uncontrollable craving for blow really blew up the possibilities that could have been for this movie. <laughs> I guess it went right up his nose. Right up his nose baby, you know it. Um I mean Mike it, it, when you think about it a couple of years later, they would do it and and the TV version, which is a fantastic movie. And they do the same goddamn thing with the spider. They'd fuck up the ending yep. with the cheesy special effects. Yes. So they kept doing, they kept doing this to King all the time. Yep, they do, and that's um, what ruin it ruins it for some of his films, right? Because I remember seeing it, and that sort of like I love that movie up until that point, you know. Of course, yeah. But what, and what I love about this, I mentioned Big Trouble in Little China before. I love that Bert so much. They want the audience to think that Bert is the hero. Bert is not even remotely close to the hero of this movie. Joby, the little kid Job, is the hero of this movie. Yes, that's true. That's true. I mean, he, he saves Bert by showing him where to hide, first of all, when the mob is like after him. Mm-hmm. Then when Bert gets wrapped up all in the corn stalks and stuff, he who cuts him free, Mike? Yeah. The little, the little kid Job does. Joby does, does yeah. Joby does. Bert doesn't know what to do with the irrigation pumps. Job <laughs> has to show him how to crank it. Bert, do it like this, you fucking idiot. Right? <laughs> And when Bert tries to burn up the cornfield, Mike, he throws a lit bottle. It's such a bad throw, and it doesn't land anywhere near the corn. Little fucking Joby has to retrieve it and risk his life because that douchey Bert has to have another throw. Oh Here, my give gosh. you a second toss at this. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that. You're so true. That's so right, though. He's oh like, my he's totally, god, what a disaster! He's, he's fixing everything. <laughs> he fixes everything, like like Dennis Dunn in in uh, in, in Big Trouble in China. Fix it, you know, helps Jack Burton. Right, right. <laughs> Incredible, man. But it's it's a great little film, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen this, but go back and rewatch this because it's definitely worth a rewatch. All right, Mike, what do you got for number four, man? My number four, Matt, this is one that I sort of, I think on my list, I changed because I feel like Tim Burton has a lot of movies that has like the horror outsider, you know, sort of oh, yeah. play on it. So I was playing with this film that I'm going to talk about. And I was also looking at uh, another film of his. But tonight I'm going to be talking about 1999's Sleepy Hollow. Is the past we cannot escape. The heads are gone. Taken by the headless horsemen. Mystery is the omen we cannot face. Some say it is the witch of the western woods who has made a path to Lucifer. Madness. Who's there? Is the terror we cannot stop. Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> Ooh, what? what um, you, so you not you will not divulge what the other film was? Oh no, no, I will. It's uh, it's the vampire one, Dark Shadows. That he Dark did. Shadows, okay, yeah, which yeah. isn't the greatest film. That movie went through a lot of script changes, a lot of you know uh, issues. I think reshoots and stuff like that. But um, that definitely, to me, is kind of a fun horror outsider uh, theme. But a better movie, and that's why I included it on this list is Sleepy Hollow. When we're talking about horror outsiders, so um, wow, yeah. So Sleepy Hollow is a story if. You you probably maybe read the book back in grammar school, as I know you and I did, Maddie. Washington Irving, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's a story about Constable Ichabod Crane, as opposed to, uh, in the book, he's a school teacher, correct? 
I think so, yes. Yeah, he definitely is. So uh, Constable Ichabod Crane is, uh, you know, he's a police officer from New York City from, you know, a long time ago. Um, and he is sort of the annoyance of New York City. So our good friend, I think it's Christopher Lee, right, who plays like sort of it like is. the, uh, he's like the, you know, the head of the, 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 the constables or the police department, sends him yes. up to uh, an, uh, a town called Sleepy Hollow in upstate New York to investigate the mysterious deaths of the town folks that lead him to learn that something more sinister is afoot once he gets up there uh, yes. in this in this small upstate New York town. And, um, you know, I think when they sort of sent him up there, it was almost like they heard of this crazy story and they're like, there's, this has got to be bull, you know, so let's send him up there just to get him out of our, out of our, you know, out of our hands. Cause I think he was sort of annoying everybody in New York city. So kind of like uh, hot fuzz when they send uh, Simon Pegg to the, you're right. Hamlet. It's exactly like that. That's, that's a good point, Maddie. Yeah. And I know we've talked about that before. Um, so, as I said, this is a story that most of us heard as children, you know, Washington Irving's uh, story. Um, and I, I don't know about you, Matt, but I was always drawn to stories that had to do with ghosts, monsters, and anything supernatural when I was a child. Legends, yeah, sure. Yeah, all that stuff. I know you got into Stephen King, you know, at an early age. For me, you know, I was more into this kind of like more appropriate stuff, you know what I mean, uh, when I was younger. But um I uh, I and just it has legend in the title, Mike Legend, like Urban Legend, yes, favorite movie of all time. That's right? favorite. So. It's not favorite movie of all time. Stop <laughs> busting my balls. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't know if this was like uh, more of a prominent story for us, just because we live in the Northeast and this sort of story takes place in the Northeast. I'm not really sure if like people. I'm wondering if you think like people in California or something. Maybe I don't even know. Is this is this story as popular? You know, out there. You know, like in, in yeah. I don't Western think it's states. a regional. I don't. I don't believe it's a regional thing. I believe it's more. It is more for the masses. I mean, think about it. I mean, we read the stuff about, you know, about Crouch End in, in England and stuff, and we're right. not turned off by it. You know, we were. That's I mean, true. Obviously, it's, it's Stephen King. That's true. But still, why, this this story was wide read, and I think you know people just accept it. If it's good writing and it's a good story, I think people yeah. will follow it anywhere. No, you know? I think you're right. I think it's definitely one of those stories that you know just gain popularity all over the world probably you know what i mean because it's mm -hmm. washington irving but um before we get to our outsider matt i want to talk about the direction of mr tim burton um visually this is one of my favorite films of his i just think yeah. the atmosphere in this movie is like fucking amazing it's so beautiful it is um, the way the 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 kind of the painting right because i i kind of think of tim burton as like a painter the the painting he made of sleepy hollow the town um is exactly how i envisioned it when i was a child like after you know checking the book out at the at my school library or middletown library you know back middletown in the town library yeah that was my library yeah um, so you can say many things about Tim, Tim Burton, but he is an amazing visionary. You know, he just like creates these worlds that are just like unbelievable. You know, it's just, it's just so beautiful. So yeah, like you said, every one of his stories is an outsider story. Yeah. And like all these worlds and places that he creates are like places that I would want to go visit. You know what I mean? It's just so amazing. I'm trying mm -hmm. to think if, uh, Hollywood Horror Nights has done one of Tim Burton's movies, but could you imagine how great it would be if you could walk through? They like, haven't done a Beetlejuice? They did do Beetlejuice last year. You're right. And I was okay. there for that. And we've talked about it. So the fact that I didn't even think of it, it just proves that I'm an idiot. But I was thinking Not in this all. movie in particular, imagine walking through Sleepy Hollow. Oh, with oh the trees how, and stuff. Yeah, the trees moving and just like the Headless Horseman. I, I just think it'd be that really cool. That would be cool. so badass. I think there's so much promise there. You're right. Oh, man. yeah. It'd be cool. Um, so obviously, Matt, our outsider is Ichabod Crane. Um, sure. And he's definitely entering into a strange land coming from New York City. 
Um, he has no idea what's happening in this town. I love that line when uh, Ichabod is meeting with all the town leaders, like in that in that back room when he gets there and they're at the party. Yep. Um, and Ichabod says, uh, only that three were slain in open grounds and their heads were found severed from their bodies. And then that one old guy, I think his name is Stenwick or Steinwick or something. Yes, yes, says, Jeffrey Jones's character. Yes. yes, yes, amazing actor. He says, the heads were not found severed. The heads were not found at all of that line. It's so great. It's just like, and just to see, uh, you know, Johnny Depp's face, you know, in that scene, he's just kind of like, it's amazing. Oh, it's so great. I heard Johnny Depp hates himself in this movie. He won't watch himself in this movie. But... Really? Oh, that's yeah. disappointing. Cause I, I love him in this movie. I think he's great. I um, do too. But you know, what's really cool about the outsider effect in this is that, um, I think it was Johnny Depp's idea, but they had, and, and, and um, and Tim Burton too, they had, his character mount and dismount the horse from the right side rather than the left, I guess, which is the classical way to do it. Oh, interesting. That's pretty. They clever. have him doing it from the opposite side to show him that he doesn't. He's so far outside. Doesn't right. Know which he way doesn't know. Horse. Yeah, because he's right. like a he's like a New York. But City. what a cool detail, though. Right? That is cool. I never noticed that, but I'm gonna have to watch for that next time. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but like so I said, happen. that dialogue. I love that dialogue. It just like shows that Ichabod feels out of his place in a land, and he's way over his head. You know what I mean? It's so oh, great. definitely. Um, so the, the screenplay changes Ichabod from a school teacher to in the book to a constable in this movie. Right. So yep. I think that's a great choice because Ichabod is a stranger in both the book and in the film. Uh, but in the film, it is to solve the mystery of the headless horseman, right? He's sort of there to solve this, like the murders and you know, why people yes. are, 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 are dying, you know? Um, some of my favorite scenes is, uh, I don't know if you remember the scene map, but the witch scene when he goes to talk to the, the witch in like the middle of the woods. Um, it's like one of the scariest Tim Burton scenes in the film. It reminds me a lot of like Pee Wee Herman when he goes to, yes. with the uh, large Marge. You know what I mean? Like it's really, yes. really freaky. It just jumps out at you, scared the shit out of me as a kid. And it still kind of gets me like when I watch it. This is definitely one of my fall movies that I watch. Um, oh, yeah. So that scene with the witch, I know it's coming, but it always gets me. It's really great. Um, and uh, what else? I love the um, the opening scene too. After like as he's just like the credit scene. I know it's like such a simple scene, but when he's just going up horse and carriage to Sleepy Hollow and the credits are rolling, the, the score there by Danny Elfman, it's just like amazing. It's so good. It's just like such a fun, such a fun part of the movie to set the tone. You know, it's, I was just gonna say it sets the whole tone. You're right. It yeah. really does. Um, and I haven't even mentioned like uh, Christina Ricci and Chris Christopher Walken, like uh, amazing performances oh, Christopher by them. Walken's amazing. All the yeah. actors, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, Tim Burton pulls out like he just has the greatest like acting troops of people that kind of come back for his films. And uh, this this film is no exception. It's just like amazing stuff. So uh, if you haven't seen this one in a while, definitely go watch it. Great horror outsider movie, I think. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. But I would recommend, you know, check it out in the fall. It's just a great, you know, late September, early October to kick you in the mood of, of Halloween and just getting that sort of those uh, creepy New England vibes, you know. Keep the lights off. We'll be right back. The Alone in the Dark Patreon is the destination to get more of your favorite horror podcast. Join us for a nostalgic journey through horror, where we offer bonus podcast episodes every month, in addition to video segments like Off the Shelf, where Maddie dusts off a horror book from his collection, and On the Record, where Mike drops the needle on some of his favorite horror records. Besides our bonus content, we also offer other perks like coffee mugs and teas. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash alone in the dark podcast to see what you're missing. So 
my number three movie, Mike, uh, debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival in early September mm. of 2011. Mm. And, and then a little after that, a fantastic fest about two weeks later in the U.S., I am talking about your next. Yes, dude. I just want you all to know how much it means to us that you're all here. Thanks to mom and dad. Beautiful. Just a perfect day. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy food and help us to do our part with kind words and loving deeds. Amen. Amen. It gets dark, we go home. Mike, the crazy-ass buzz for this film before it came out. Um, I don't know if you remember, but Lionsgate scooped this sucker up, distribution rights, and, and it was expensive. And it didn't hit theaters, though, until two years later almost. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. It was hitting these festivals, and man, they really built the buzz for this movie big time before it came out. Well, they had to. They had all this time to do it. <laughs> well, sure, yeah. I don't yeah. mean... Um, Barbara Crampton, my God, an, another national treasure. She mm -hmm. plays the, uh, the matriarch of this family. Um, she's over 50 in this film, I think when she filmed it and she is absolutely radiant in this movie. Yeah, she's great. I mean, I had such a crush on her and reanimator and from beyond forget that was, you know, 85 and 86. Here we are like 25 years later. She's lost none of her class, her luster or this potent beauty that she has. It's amazing. I just, I, I want to take a swan dive into those eyes. My God. Sorry, I, I digress a little bit here. <laughs> Come <sighs> back to us, Maddie. Come back to us. <laughs> magical opening scene, Mike. I mean, I've talked about this on one of my uh, soundtrack lists, that Looking for the Magic by Dwight Twilley oh, Band. Oh, so great. That, that amazing musical cue. Um, you get a quick disorienting tease of the killers, you know, just enough to kind of make you go, oh, man, what, what's going to go on with this? When are you going to see these people? Yep. Um, my favorite shot in the entire film happens when, the, when Mom, Aubrey, who's Barbara Crampton, she, it's toward the beginning of the movie, and she goes to the kitchen to take her pills. Yeah. And there's the image of the tiger mask, like, slowly materializes in the glass oh, of the kitchen window. Oh, that is window. great. Well, that was in oh, the, was that in the trailer, too? I feel like it might I'm have been. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's so brilliantly composed, and it's so eerie. You know, it's like the Michael Myers coming out of the, the, the dark or whatever, but the way it's composed in this shot is so beautiful and so perfect. Um, and who was, I, uh, who was behind that mask? Do you remember that, Manny? Uh, the fox? Uh, the tiger mask. It was Simon Oh, the Barrett, tiger. I'm sorry. He's the screenwriter. He's the writer. He's the yeah, writer. Yeah. Correct. He, he yes. played the, the tiger mask killer in this movie. He did. Yep. My other favorite scene, Mike, is where Kelly, he, uh, the doucher older brother, the douchey guy. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Drake's wife runs screaming into the woods, and she ends up at the neighbor oh Eric's house. Oh, my gosh. Who's uh, Larry Fezzedin from the beginning. Yep. Um, she gets thrown through the glass doors, and then, and then, of course, we have Tiger Mask, who you just said is Simon Barrett, yep. the writer. Mm -hmm. He whacks her in the head with this maul, which is like a sledgehammer for splitting wood. Did you that tool he uses? Right, right. And then that disturbing, amazing shot where Tiger Mask Killer sits on the couch next to Eric's propped up corpse, because he's been sitting there propped up. Because <laughs> remember, when he killed him in the beginning, he just sat him up on the couch. Yep. And he's staring down at Kelly's body, which is on the floor, as looking for the magic, Mike goes stops and repeats and goes back to the beginning yes. again 
Yes. And it's just the most chilling fucking thing, man. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you realize, I'm sure you did because you're you're a filmmaker type, but um, there's so much, most of this film is handheld camera work. Yeah, which is awesome. It you really, it just adds to the tension, right, of the movie and just kind of gives that jarring sort of effect. And that's a big compliment because normally I would say it's so goddamn distracting and right. intrusive. If you ask me, if someone just said, oh, this movie's going to be um, handheld camera, I would say, shit. You know, either like, either that's just lazy or like they're trying to be like this pretentious bullshit or whatever. But for this movie, Mike, the intimacy and the immediacy and the suspense that it's building, it really does keep you invested. And it's such a rare thing. That's how well this movie is constructed because that filmmaking technique actually lends to the to the immediacy and the the tautness of, of the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's bring it back to the theme here. So this film fits perfectly into the theme for tonight's podcast because Mike Aaron, the, um, Crispin's Australian yes. girlfriend, yes. she is the fish out of water. She's the stranger in the strange land here. She's the outsider. Yep. She's meeting his bougie family for the first time. And right. it's clear that she doesn't exactly fit in, does she? No, she does yeah. not. And that's pretty obvious from the start. But you don't yeah. know how deep it goes. You well, know, she's portrayed, the end, which is great. Of course, she's portrayed as this meek minnow swimming amongst a family of, family of privileged sharks, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, at least that's what the filmmakers want you to think, as you just alluded to, Mike. Um, as soon as the poop hits the fan, so to speak, it's clear that Erin is no helpless minnow. And as no. much as I'm going to say about that, she's, uh, she's, she's calmly narrating instructions to the family, which is hysteric, hysterical panic when, when the shit hits the fan and oh, yeah. people start getting picked off every 10 minutes. Yes. And this is where the audience beautifully gets to see that Aaron is no fish out of water. And what's <laughs> cool is it completely turns the tables on the fact that the killers are actually the fish out of water by the end of this movie. Right, right. Which is awesome, it right? It is awesome. Um, you know, this is her element. This is what she was built for. Yep. Um, she's the apex predator, for Christ's sake. Not them. Yes. Um, which, I, I, like I said, it's just, it's a brilliant conceit. Um, and um, anyway, anyone who's... You know, the table's being flipped, and, and it's just genius uh, of this story, ultimately this film. Again, I'll go no further. You're not going to have to go further, because just go. you go looking for the magic all you want, <laughs> and go check out the Dwight Tooley band, because they're amazing. But you're not going to have to look too far, Mike, because it's all right there on the screen. Matt, my number three. We just had a Friday the Thirteenth, right? So we why not? Did. Why not toss a Friday the Thirteenth? And which Friday the Thirteenth are you going to have Jason as an outsider, Matt? And that's going to well, be Jason X. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, we could go there. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. But no, I'm talking about Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, Six, Seven, Eight, Part Eight. Jason takes Manhattan from 1989, oh. directed by Rob Heaton. There's a storm at sea. You're all gonna die. And it's blowing terror. To the Big Apple. Now, the only safe place to be. You're dead meat. Yo, man, it's cool. It's cool, man. It's cool. Is out of town. Friday the 13th, Part 8. Jason takes Manhattan. Rated R. Starts Friday, July 28th at theaters everywhere. So, Jason, Jason Voorhees... <laughs> 
Oh, well done, Mike. Yeah, Jason Voorhees hitches a ride on a boat and magically jumps over land to splash in the Hudson River to take a cruise (laughs) with a bunch of teens heading on a graduation trip to Manhattan. That totally makes sense, right, Matt? It's possible, right? Absolutely. Oh, boy, Matt. We need a map for this one for sure. Um, So this, you know, I don't know about you. We've talked about this several times. But for me, this was always kind of the black sheep of the franchise for me. You know, I I don't know. It's it's one of those ones that I never really enjoyed. But... As, as age has come upon me and time has passed, it's kind of like a fine wine, Matt, because I've really I grown love to love this movie. I really I have. I love it. Yeah, I saw I know. this twice in the theater. I talked about this, I think, before, early in the podcast. Yeah, and you always enjoyed it, right? Was, was yes. there ever disappointment in your, in your thoughts at all or no? It was so slight, but it went away so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, and there was no disappointment in, in the... You, you do, what did you think of the whole location thing of Jason getting there? <laughs> did it just like slip past I you? Was, like No, you just, it was horse shit. It was total horse shit. Right, right. And when you saw this in theaters, were people freaking out? Like, what the fuck? Like, did you hear groans well, here's the and thing. grunts? One time I saw this in a theater. It was actually a th- the theater in the Ocean County Mall, which is no longer there anymore. Yes. I was literally the only person in this theater. Are you serious? And this was so like- So there was nobody to get pissed off. Like how long was the movie out at that point? It was probably um, it was probably out a, at least a week or a week and a half. It wasn't- Oh, okay. So, so people But it was still it. fairly new that people should have been there, right? Yeah, it should have been a couple of people at least that were you know bored or something that just oh trickled into gosh. the theater. Wow. Wow. So there was no grunts and groans, and if there was, it would have been just coming from you. So <laughs> exactly uh, interesting. Well, uh, as we said, Jason is obviously the outsider in this film. Um, he's never really he's actually he's never been outside of Crystal Lake before, right? I think that's that's kind of where he grew up, and that's where he died, and that's where he always stayed. So um, actually, I well, think he was in he was in a graveyard somewhere, but yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I just mean that the area of Crystal Lake, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I think this is the first time he's ever really been on a boat larger than a rowboat, right? In in the original and, and in part six, those are the only two times he was in sort of a rowboat, right? I don't think he's he, yep. was ever in a boat in any other films in the franchise, um, except maybe like, uh, what was the one where it was like, you know, it's like the virtual thing. No, that was just the the, the girls, right? And the, the, yes. That he beats the shit out of, yeah. That's, that's um, Jason X, yes. Yeah, Jason X, yep. So as fans, we were expecting this whole movie to take place in Manhattan, but what we got is Jason on a boat until the last, what was it, like 30 minutes or so? Uh, when Maybe. They f- yeah, when they finally escape to the big city. Um, so once Jason makes it to Manhattan. Uh, Toronto. <coughs> Toronto. Well, yeah, let's we'll get there in a second. This is uh, when Jason shines, because if you can make it here, Matt, you can make it anywhere. And when I say <laughs> anywhere, I mean fucking uh, Toronto, because Manhattan is only shown in a couple of shots uh, that that was filmed in Times Square uh, for two days. Right. By the way, is yes, only two days. Is this, is this Toronto or Montreal, by the way? Uh, or is it Vancouver? I don't even know. It's some Canadian. <laughs> we have to go back city. here, Mike. We have to who, go back here. Who? <laughs> <laughs> well, you said Toronto. You said Toronto. So I wrote in my notes Vancouver. So one of us is wrong, Matt. So who fucking cares? And you know what? I don't give a shit. I'm leaving it in because it doesn't matter. It's fucking it's Canada. Fantastic. It's Canada. It's supposed to be Manhattan, dude. And it pissed us all off because we wanted <laughs> to see actual Manhattan, and uh, we got two shots, or yeah, a couple shots in Times Square. So um, do you? Do you sense my sarcasm, Maddie? Because I'm fucking loaded with it right now because it really No, I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was really pissed off because we were all expecting that. We had that great poster, right, that they had to take down with the uh, I Love New York, but it was Jason. Oh, 
Oh, it was all, it was a ruse, Matt. It was all a ruse. It just pisses off. But anyway, we still have Jason as an outsider in this film, which is still- It is Vancouver, by the way, just so we can uh, get that off. Dude, see, and that was my notes, Matt. I wrote it and you screwed me up by saying Toronto. (laughs) So you messed me up and then we threw in another city. Let's just say it's fucking Banff. They filmed it in Banff, Matt. I'm just kidding. That's a random Canada quote there. Um, Anyway, so- Saskatchewan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what other cities from Canada can we throw out there? But um, so some of the best parts are watching Jason get used to a new place that is not Crystal Lake. So seeing him on the subway is awesome. <laughs> um, seeing him in the alleyway with the drug dealers killing punks and kicking boomboxes are like totally worth the price of admission. And I'm sure they had a they had a high a high opinion of New York City, didn't they? Yeah, and you know what I love too. I I love this when you watch the opening part of the film. They basically show all the shots you're going to see later in the movie. Yes. Um, it's just before Jason gets there, but they basically just recycled shots. You know what I mean? It's like the same exact shit. So if you go back and watch the opening, you'll be like, oh yeah, this is what we see at the end of the movie. It's just Jason's not there right now. So it's pretty funny. Um, oh God. So, you know, most of the characters that we are on this boat with get cut from the film um, by Jason's hand uh, before we get to the big island. But I would have liked to have seen more from uh, JJ, the, the rocker chick. I think she's yeah. great. And also the Corey Feldman lookalike Wayne, who plays the nerdy filmmaker kid. I feel like they were gone too soon. That would have been by great the way, to see them towards the end, you know? By the way, that yeah. guy, that that dude. Who plays the Corey Feldman guy? Like the poor man's Corey Feldman? Mike, anybody, I swear to God, I hate to take a detour into these shows. Yeah, yeah, I don't care. This is on, the fun part the, of the podcast. For on sure. the freaking Hallmark channel, I believe it is. Wait, what? You saw him recently there's, or something? There's a show called When Calls the Heart. I, it's like in its eighth whoa, season. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Say it's that title again. <laughs> when calls the heart. Oh it's this God. innocent show. There's a guy named Henry. Yeah. And he's kind of like the, this, you know, oil guy. And he's like a greedy guy. You know, he's, he's cool now, but he was kind of like the ruffian of the, it's, right. it's that, it's that dude. It's the same guy. It's him. And you like looked it up and like verified I've, no, Mike, it? I, I've been staring at this dude for like six seasons because we watched, and when COVID hit, we watched like the first six seasons. We just binged it with my wife which, and, my, and my sons were having dinner and stuff. We would watch it. You must have been dying. Like, I can't believe and this I'm, is this is this is. And him. I just found out it was him. And I'm like, oh my it's God. It's fucking He's Wayne from, from fucking it's Jason Wayne. Takes Manhattan. That's great, dude. He, 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 was on, he, was with the, he was on the quest with JJ to find the, the Supreme Concert Hall Echo, dude. Yeah. I that's cool, man. I'm happy for actors like that that can keep it going. You know what I mean? Because usually oh, there's a lot of these like no name actors from these films that are like just disappear after this. You know, they're just fucking selling oil in a fucking auto repair shop or something. You know what I mean? Speaking of oil, yeah, sure they could. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I don't know about you, Matt, but by far, by far in this movie, my favorite scene is when Jason and and uh, Julius have their rocky battle on the rooftop. Oh yeah, it's got to oh. be the best, right? I feel like most people would agree with us there. Um, it, it's such a great scene because uh, you just get that one time where Jason really gets a run for his money, right? This is like, I feel like the only scene in the series where Jason gets the, like the fight of his life, basically. You know what I mean? Well, they, well, yeah, I they, guess if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to well, call it the fight of his life, they, they sure. make you think that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if Jason's going to have any sort of trouble, it's in the scene, you know, you feel like the tables are going to turn on Jason. And obviously we get something different because we get uh, Julius's uh, heads, his block gets knocked off, right? And lands in, in a dumpster, right? Yeah, I think I think Johnny Depp from uh, Sleepy Hollow might have to come investigate. Mike, he lost his head in <laughs> New York City. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes, he should come and investigate. Well, if he goes to New York City, ain't gonna find him. You have to go to Vancouver to probably find him. But. That's true too. Or <laughs> Bam for wherever we fucking said. Who cares? <laughs> so, who would ever, 
whoever thunk Matt that Jason would be an outsider in a horror film, but he was in this movie, you know, and we got it, and uh, I definitely enjoy it now. It's good. So, that's and definitely my- Mike, and also yes, that was your number three, Mike. But yeah. remember, you can get to you can get to the Atlantic Ocean from Crystal Lake. You can. So if anybody wants to visit there by boat, it's possible. You can figure it out. Just, you know. Yeah, Crystal Lake is navigable. You could fit a giant goddamn cruise ship on Crystal Lake, and it will actually go all the way to the ocean, to the Atlantic Ocean. And I want to see that in that Friday the 13th book we have, Crystal Lake Memories. Like, where's the map that shows that this is possible? That's what I want to see. <laughs> My number two, Mike, is actually a John Carpenter film. Oh, yes. And he wouldn't, it's, I guess originally he didn't even put his name uh, on the writing. He was Martin Quatermass, which was, uh, oh, this is the second going. Martin Quatermass films, not Prince of Darkness, but the one the year after. This is 1988's They Live. Yes. What do these things want? Why are they here? They're running the whole show. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Blind on us to the truth. Look, I've got one that can see. Look at them, they're everywhere. From John Carpenter. They live. Rated R. So I'm endlessly, and I say endlessly fascinated by John Carpenter's subtextual references and hidden meanings that are strewn throughout his filmography, Mike. Mm-hmm. This film in particular seems to be as wide open to interpretation, I think, as he's ever gotten. I think um, you're right. There's there's so many themes in this movie. It's like insane. What's not, What what is, you know, is it Ronald Reagan? Sure. Like, is it the entire Republican Party at this point that he's, that he's pissed off at and right. has had enough mm-hmm. with? Or is it about Hollywood, Mike? Again, we talked about his body bags. I alluded to this before, but... How Carpenter is this everyman director, right? Yep. Who always seemed to be positioned outside the bounds of the in crowd of Hollywood. There you go, outsiders, like, yes. Outsider, right? Mm-hmm. The renegade artist who calls bullshit on the entire concept of what it means to be considered Hollywood in the first place, <laughs> right? Yep. The outsider who is not considered part of the club, he doesn't give a crap because it goes against all the decent ideals he stands for as an artist anyway. Yes, yes. This is John Carpenter. This is his life. This was his career. This is why he got bitter at times about the movies. Um, and this is the fish out of water that he's working with within a system. You know, he's the fish out of water, John Carpenter, who, uh, working in within the system of Hollywood that honestly he'll never really be a part of in the That's way that true. some people are. He's sort of been criticized, right? He's sort of been like blown off and it's sort of, I'm sure it pissed him off to the point that he didn't want to be a part of Hollywood, you know, and be a part right. of that whole scene. Yeah. And then you have this underrated, underseen and extremely underappreciated gem in his, in his canon. It's this urban Western that wears its heart proudly on its sleeve, Mike. <laughs> um, as soon as that kick drum starts and that acoustic guitar motif begins. Oh, it's so good. Boom, 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 right? Yes. And we're in, and we meet George Nada. Of course, Nada in Spanish means nothing. Yes. Because it literally means nothing. Yeah, yeah. And he, rep- he, he comes in, and he represents lower middle-class America in the late 1980s, who are also, as Carpenter is assuming here, they are nothing. Right, right. right? And there are multiple layers to this fish-out-of-water motif, and that's why, I, I mean, that's, I wasn't trying to be clever when I chose this, because I love this film so much. And we never really talked about it. As a matter of fact, when we did our Carpenter episode, we didn't even have this on on one, our top five. That's right. 
So it fits perfectly in this fish out of water uh, motif here. Um, so Nada is this homeless laborer. He's a drifter. And he's struggling to find work in this new place, Los Angeles. He's come to this place called, you know, obviously Los Angeles. Yes. He sticks out among all the others because um, he's kind of a cautious optimist at first who thinks like, oh, you know, if, I, if I'm patient and if I'm hardworking, it's going to pay off for me. Right. right he's kind of, right. he is in the beginning. He's not, he's not this bitter dude that he becomes. That's very Hollywood. If you think about it too, like actors. Coming of course. In from, yeah. Yeah. It's that there's, there's that theme, Matt. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And after he puts on the sunglasses, Mike, and he realizes the real truth of this world that's going on, yep. you know, he fights back. So he's essentially a stranger in a strange land twice. He's a native, he's a naive newcomer to Los Angeles to begin with in the beginning, but then he's a newcomer to this truth of the hidden aliens who are controlling him and his class of people yep. and keeping them in their place. So he's like a double fish out of water in this movie. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and one of his great lines, Mike, the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> I mean, that is one of the greatest, you know, lines uh, that sums up kind of the 80s, you know? Yeah, yep. Um, you know, we all know the famous bubblegum line. Of course, I, I alluded oh, yeah. to it at the beginning and kind of did, did a little, my own take on in the beginning right, of it. Right, But how about, brother, life's a bitch and she's back in heat. <laughs> I mean, that's a like an action movie line, you know, or some, it is. some beautiful, you know, that should be in like Dead Heat or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You can't write it better than that. I mean, the fight scene with Frank, it defies words. It is. Oh, it's so I mean, good. it's been talked about so many times, but I mean, it is so singular. It's something you might only see in like a Kung Fu film of like the 70s. <laughs> it's like it goes awesome. on and on and on. And every time you think it's over, it just keeps going and it's. It's remarkable. And he, this was him just basically holding up his middle finger saying, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. I got Roddy Piper here. Yes. <laughs> yes. He gives the guy a suplex in an alleyway in New York City. Or Dude, excuse me, in Los Angeles. Yeah. it. Uh, he'd be dead, by the way, if that really happened oh, in real life. <laughs> God, probably would be, right? I mean, the special effects, Mike, think about it. On this low budget, which is pretty, pretty much of a low budget here we're talking about, they're pretty awesome, these special effects. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, and they hold up. Like even now, they're they're, they're cool to watch. There's nothing oh, like, like totally. It completely holds up. It's amazing. Really, really kind of a good ending. And I'm not going to spoil it here. I'm I'm going to hold off for once in my life and not actually tell you what happens at the end. Um, if you haven't seen this already, please go watch this. Oh I my mean, God, who hasn't seen it? It's, I hope you've seen it. And if you haven't, go do it now. It's it's an amazing, amazing John Carpenter masterpiece for sure. It is, and. Um, I mean, it's as if Carpenter's not only exposing capitalism, like he's he's laying bare the devastating effects of Reagan's trickle down economics on the lower middle classes. I am fucking pontificating about politics for the first time and the <laughs> only time because I'm telling you, Carpenter right here, dude, got his his panties in a bunch and he really got pissed off. This is where he turned and started saying, I, I just I don't know how long longer I can do this. Yeah. Um, I mean, viewed through today's lens, think about how how this film takes on these layers, Mike. I mean, racial, social, it's so far ahead of its time, it transcends time altogether. Like, it's more relevant now than it was 32 years, 34 years ago. It's true. It keeps it keeps staying with you, and it keeps teaching you more lessons, you know? I mean, this, the, the strife, the prejudice, and worst of this, the worst sin of all, Mike, I think Carpenter's telling us, the sin of indifference, <laughs> right? Like, there's not much hope at the end of this movie, and there's not much hope at the end of the thing. And they, they kind of go, you know, this is that same kind of motif, you know, that bleakness at the end, which is to say, Mike, there's no hope at all. And if it's, if it's Carpenter's most political film, fine. If it's most, his most cynical, I definitely think it is, but it also just might be his most important movie. Uh, 
All right, so my number two, Matt, I am staring at this lovely lady in two different spots in the podcast room right now. One, a cardboard standee, and one, a movie poster that's framed right over by the television. And we are going to be talking about Elvira, Mistress of the Dark from 1988, Matt. Remember our old hometown? Nothing to do but wash the paint dry. I see you've made your famous tic-tac high. Then, one day, along came... You looking for me? What a Here's dinner. What a cut. We ought to have one of these every year. Elvira. Fist of the dark. Rated PG-13. Special sneak preview Saturday, September 24th. Check your newspaper for time and location. How long have you been waiting to talk about this movie? You know how much I love Elvira. I really do. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy her very much. Um, Elvira, just to give you the plot breakdown, Elvira inherits her aunt's estate. Uh, and is sucked into a battle of protecting her aunt's witch spell cookbook from her evil uncle in a small New England town. This is one of those joyful 80s horror comedies that if it's on TV or from scrolling through my streaming services, it's the kind of movie I have to put on, Matt. I just have to because it's like, for me, this is like the quintessential uh, horror comedy, sort of just fun, no-brainer, you know, just enjoyable film. And Elvira makes it so, so much fun. You know, She she really does yes so we're talking outsiders tonight matt elvira as you would agree i'm sure elvira is definitely the outsider (laughs) in this movie uh being forced into the town of falwell massachusetts uh because she is so desperate in need of cash to to fund her vegas show that she's trying to get going with her her manager that her manager promise but now she has to kind of pay for it you know which yes. doesn't make a lot of sense um, and the men men are scum it's very very outlined oh, that yeah that the theme of that is definitely happening from especially the opening scene where she has her because she's kind of playing she plays herself in this in this or her character i mean elvira mm-hmm. cassandra per- peterson is playing elvira in this obviously and elvira is a horror host and she's doing her horror hosting thing at the beginning and there's like the guy that just bought the station or something like that and yep he, and he wants there's that scene yeah where he, he like grabs her boobs or something you know what i mean and and she sort of quits uh so you're right there is sort of this whole theme of men or scum you know what i mean and it happens a lot in yeah this and movie. She, she goes into the dressing room and she's like i guess i gotta find the next scummy guy like that's basically what she right? says that's basically what what happens yeah um so the the contrast of Elvira in this picture perfect small town is I think it's hilarious. You know, from the first time she drives into town, uh, she makes her mark by breaking down dramatically to have all eyes on her, <laughs> announcing her entrance. Um, and the teens sort of help her with her car. You know what I mean? And and everyone's just standing there watching her. You know, um, and they're just sort of like there's there's def uh, what's her name the um, actress who plays um, uh, Chastity Pariah. You know, Chastity the, the secre- Pariah, the secretary, secretary from, Mike, yeah, Ferris. Yeah. Yes. So you yeah, have speaking. the you have the pr- you have the principal Rooney in, in Sleepy Hollow, and now you got Chastity Pariah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you got you got half a Ferris Bueller cast, and, and you and you had Alan Ruck, Cameron. Yeah, Cameron from Freaky. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize that theme's <laughs> happening here tonight, Matt. But yeah, there's some sort of connection to well, Ferris is. Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Um, so I love that character, uh, Chastity Pariah. I think it's great, and I also love Elvira's love interest, the guy Bob Redding. Bob. 
Um, if you, if you recognize this guy, but not sure where you may have seen him, uh, he made a career acting in most of the Farrelly brothers movies. Oh, um, really? Yeah. 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 If you go back, he's in most of their movies and, um, it's great. So, and I, we also get, um, Elvira's thirsty teen, uh, Bo, uh, played by dream warriors alum, Will the yes. Wizard. Yeah. He's yes, in the this wizard, movie dude. too, which is great he to is. see him in another sort of horror, uh, film, you know, which is super fun. Um, and uh, I think I want to say this this lot looks familiar, Matt. This location of this town is it the same town from Back to the Future? Or is it? Is it? Am I just making that up? It seems no. Like I it, think it. I think it could be. It could be. It looks like it, but I'm not positive on that. Uh, but to me, it just looked like the same sort of. Set, it has a know? burbs vibe too, a little bit. Yeah, it could be that too. Definitely like the uh, the neighborhood where her where her, that her aunt's house is definitely yes. has the burbs. It looks like that same street, maybe or something like that. You know. Very um, cool. Yeah. So Elvira is clearly the star in this film. You know, I'm sure you would agree. I, I love the fact that she's playing, you know, her character herself, you know, the, that Cassandra Peterson had, uh, had created, you know, Elvira, um, or that she auditioned for back in the day, you know, but how cool um, is it? Cassandra Peterson has nothing to do with it. She's just Elvira the whole time. She is. Yeah. There's no sort of, yeah, there's no transformation. There's no or, break of character. It's just, yeah. that's she, that's who she is. It's so yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's so great that that character was set up. It's almost like you think of like a like a Saturday Night Live movie. You know what I mean? Like Wayne's World, or you know, the, it's like that that character is just is such a legend that they had to make a movie out of it. You know what I mean? Which I think exactly. is so great for Elvira. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, the way that she interacts is just like how an outsider would act in any given situation uh, that is thrust upon Elvira in this movie. You know, some uh, some favorite scenes for me in this is the uh, town potluck uh, picnic <laughs> where. <laughs> Elvira accidentally cooks a love potion from her aunt's yes. cookbook and the entire town has like an orgy basically right in front of your eyes. It's amazing. It's amazing. Whoops. Um, it's, it's almost as if Elvira, even chastity. Yeah. Yeah. And even chastity. Yeah. Chastity Pariah was getting down too. Um, it's almost as if Elvira was feeling like she was an outcast and she was getting her revenge. You know, even though it was an accident, she was definitely <laughs> some huge revenge there for her. Um, other favorite scenes for me um, are the uh, house painting montage, oh, um, great. which is great. All the kids pitch in and then they paint the house and it's like all these different crazy colors and stuff like that. Um, and they want, it's so funny because they, they want you to be the scummy guy. They want the viewer to be the scummy guy because she's always bending over. Yeah. She's, scr she's scrubbing stuff. Like it's like it has this thing where they're like, okay, the male gaze, right? Elvira's pointing to it and it wants you to. It's funny how they accept she, it. Almost, she was ahead of her I mean? time. Well, she was ahead of her time because she. I think it's on purpose because she wants to see, see, you guys are scummy. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? You yeah. can't stop looking at my boobs. You can't, you know, you're right. not looking at my face. And there's even the scene where the teens like climb up to her window and they're trying to exactly. get a photo of her. Porky's yeah. vibe. Totally. Yeah. 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 There's totally, like you said, they definitely stole something for Porky's. Which is but great. that's so cool because she is smart and she's like this total, like she, she's, she has it on everybody else because she's, she's got a lot more going on up upstairs in her brain than, than anyone realizes. And they need yes. her more than, more than they think they do. Yeah. Um, you know, as much as chastity <laughs> what a line mike when they meet when she first comes into town and she goes up to the uncle and she's like someone like that comes to town well the next thing you know they're passing out condoms to kindergartners <laughs> yes yeah like that yeah like that's really gonna what happen. a line what oh a great God, line it's so great it's so funny <laughs> but how far she comes from the beginning to the end though it's it's one of those great turnarounds you know oh it's so good it's so good and there's so many great scenes like i love uh, the scene in the the bowling alley at the beginning with like the fight scene where she fights with the two town yes. knuckleheads you know yes um oh and played I love... by uh, the guy from greece yes that's right the guy from greece yeah Kanicki. he's in it yep yes. Kanicki. yep 
Um, and I love the uh, the when she she hosts the uh, horror movie uh, the oh, marathon yes. with the kids in town, you know, at the theater. And then we get that great Elvira dance sequence. It's that's like worth every with, penny. With the pasties flying. Yes, I love yes. that scene. It's amazing. It's so good. Um, so in the end we get sort of, you get sort of this, like, uh, it's kind of like a mystery because you don't really know the, if the ant, you know, what the ant has to play and why the uncle is so desperate to get this book, but it gets pretty, it gets pretty dark in a sense, you know, as, as dark as a horror comedy can get, because there's definitely some, uh, some creepy things going on with the uncle and stuff like that, which I think is great. But, um, we get we get such a fun movie. I really enjoy this watching this movie again, and I think Elvira is is a perfect outsider in this film. Um, the sad thing is, I read recently that Elvira was quoted in 2021 saying that she had a sequel to this movie ready to go, uh, but no one wants to produce it. Nobody wants to touch it. Which I'm like, oh, why? why? I know, this would right? Be so amazing, you know. Um, I'll leave you, Matt, with this quote from the VHS promotional poster uh, that I saw recently when it was released right before Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. What a pair, Elvira and Valentine's Day. <laughs> what a pair. <laughs> Love is kind of crazy with a spooky little girl like you. My number one film. We're going all the way back to 1973, believe it or not. Nice. The year the year we were born, right? Or Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, here, here we are in 1973, and we're going to go with The Wicker Man. Ooh. Welcome, fool. I believe in the life eternal, as promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Pagan. Where is Rowan Morrison? Come. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Oh, Jesus Christ! You simply never understand the true nature of sacrifice. Good God. And the people that say that Midsummer from uh, Ari Aster's film doesn't take, doesn't really rip this movie off in some way is just mm. lying to the they're lying to themselves i mean i love i do like midsummer it's it's a pretty amazing film but it it echoes this film tremendously mike mike the strangest weirdest most disturbing one of the most disturbing strange weird movies you'll ever see i mean these locals they worship at the altar of the dick mike <laughs> they raise a chalice to the mighty power of the phallus. <laughs> They're ready to spill blood over their allegiance to the power of the pud, Mike. <laughs> it is all about procreation and dick and fat. There's phallic imagery everywhere in this movie. Wow. The or- Mike, the orchestrator of this paganistic perversion is a man called Lord Summer Isle. And this is the second time we're going to mention his name tonight because you mentioned him in Sleepy Hollow. Christopher freaking Lee. Yes, that's right. Who was in in rare form coming off a series, a string of Hammer films in the in the, the you know sixties. Here he is in the early seventies, and he is just in rare form. This he's kind of this cult leader of this whole island. So he must have tugged mightily at the shaft of the mighty sword Sex Caliber. Okay, <laughs> he grabbed Sex Caliber, and it's he who sets this whole island of orgy and merriment into motion. Mike, it's just <laughs> amazing. So. 
Our hero is Sergeant Howie. He's this guy that flies in in the beginning. There's this little folk song playing, and you're like, oh, this is a different type of film. Oh, and so it sounds like, you know, this little, like, uh, Cat Stevens song or something. It's not, but... Um, and it's the this song, and here he flies in, and he stays at the Green Man Inn. Holy shit, holy foreshadowing. <laughs> it's your favorite English teacher, Maddie, here. I'm telling you folks about the uh, the sometimes obvious nature of this foreshadowing because Sar- sergeant howie is literally the green man mike of this horrific folktale mm-hmm. he's full of inexperience he walks around the island he's surrounded by couples who are fornicating in slow motion <laughs> everywhere around him and he's he's a man of religion mike he's a man of faith um but green also means uncomfortable with sexual contact <laughs> and sergeant howie's praying before bed and he's steadfast and somewhat slavish adherence to his faith it provides this wonderful counterpoint to the residents, like who I said, are just screwing each other right, all, right. all around him. And the irony of this piece, Mike, the irony is it lies in the fact that his attachment to his own faith is just as cultish as these locals and ultimately what ends up being his undoing <laughs> at the end. He arrives at Summerville, first of all, Mike, to investigate a, a missing 12-year-old old girl. That's why he came to the island to begin with. I mean, he, you can't big, get a big, bigger fish out of water than this dude in this place, right? He's just a religious fanatic who's very staunch faith based and he, sh- he shows up at this place where everybody's loose and talking about screwing um <laughs> but according to the urban dictionary mike i talk about the green man in he steps in green simply means dumb as fuck in some instances <laughs> that's according to the urban dictionary now whichever meaning you ascribe to mike the sergeant harry character it doesn't matter you're not gonna be wrong no matter which of those meanings you take um the scene at the end mike there's a scene i don't even know if you've seen this movie or how long it's been since you've seen this film I don't even know if I have, Matt, to be honest with you. And if you haven't, Mike, run and find it because it, it's, 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 it's a must-see movie. It's, it's absolutely riveting. Um, but again, you just won't even believe what you're seeing. Oh, I don't know that you're exactly going to love it or anything, but man, right, you, have right. to, you have to see it. But no, I'm excited from from your description, and you know, I was definitely in the mood to to see a phallic movie. So it sounds like this is the you one. have to, Mike. I mean, he's, he's so he's at this inn, and there's people downstairs. They got acoustic guitars. They they have a little bit of brew. They're drinking, and you know, it's a Scot. It's I think it's in Scotland. So it's you know, it's it's got this feel that they're really kind of partying, getting down. And the innkeeper's daughter, um, her name is Willow. Uh, this whole party and atmosphere and guitar folk songs that they're singing out that whips her into a sexual frenzy like mm-hmm. she's completely naked on the other side of the wall from where sergeant howie's room is where he's staying she's making so the you hear the music and she stands up and she's i mean i mean not a stitch of clothing on not under nothing and she's grinding like she's making love to the wall she's swaying and she's gyrating he's on the other side of the wall trying to resist the temptation of her right you can see <laughs> he's fighting his, his, his faith is really getting hard for him to resist like he's thrown into this moral chaos, basically, right? <laughs> and my God, it's it, Brit, Brit Eklund is the actress who plays um, plays Willow in this movie. And Mike, you you know who she is because she's this beautiful blonde who's in The Man with the Golden Gun. She's one of the Bond girls from that oh, movie. No way. I mean, she's got those beautiful doe eyes, much like Barbara Crampton, and she's she's uh, she's just beautiful. I'm not talking much because she's naked. That's fine, but I'm just saying right. she's just beautiful, beautiful woman to begin with. Um, so she would play the Man with the Golden Gun, but Mike, I think that. Uh, the chamber of that gun is empty because uh, everyone's loads already been shot by the time we get to this scene. My God. Um, phallic symbolism, like I said, Mike, is everywhere. Ha- happy frolicking townspeople. It, 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 it gets to the point, though, where it gets under your skin. Oh, my because gosh. Because it's just, it's creepy. The same way Midsummer is creepy. I don't know yeah. if you've seen that film either, but. Oh, no, that, I did see Midsummer. Yeah, I found that. There is, yeah, I mean, when you watch that movie, it, it, 
it's a it slow does. burn thing, but it gets under your skin. Like I it feel really uncomfortable, does. right? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the school teacher, he goes to the school and her aside to Sergeant Howie challenging his Catholic beliefs is something you just don't hear in, in, in films say. Children find it far easier to picture reincarnation than resurrection. Those rotting bodies, a great stumbling block for the childish imagination. This is what the teacher tells him. Wow. Like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and then when they meet Lord Summerisle, Christopher Lee, I mean, he was perfectly cast in this movie. Like, he's hoping that the god of fire will make them fruitful, which obviously is foreshadowing as well. But we, Mike, we quickly realize that Sergeant Howie's god has absolutely no place in, in, in Summerisle. It just doesn't. His god is no place. He has no place there. Total fish out of water, an outsider. And in this case, all the other films we've talked about to this point... The outsider angle is played for fun, for the most part. I mean, or, or some sort of like, okay, the outsider goes there and he, he's changed and he changes the people that are there. Yeah. Well, not so much here, Mike. <laughs> not so much. Um, once you see this movie, Mike, you can't unsee it. I am not going to spoil what happens in this movie. Um, well, but especially I for say, me, because I need to see it. I wouldn't say it's fun. I won't go there. Right, But right. you definitely need to see it. Um, and I'm just going to leave it there. Man, The Wicker Man, 1973, one of the best uh, British films Probably ever horror films, um, probably ever. All right, Matt, this is a movie uh, that, uh, you know, we talk about our favorite decades and, you know, a lot of people, we just heard at Friday Night Frights, people were like, I know, Mikey, that your your favorite decade is the 90s, you know, so I had to go there, Matt. So we're <laughs> going to be talking about 1996's The Craft. There's just something about them that's different. So what are you doing after school? That's exciting. How's it going? That's making Want to know them? I can't stop thinking about you. And there's a real good reason why. You're a witch. <laughs> the crowd. Girls, watch out for those weirdos. We are the weirdos, Mister. Rated R at theaters Friday. Directed by Andrew Fleming, who did another movie that I also enjoy that was not a horror movie called Threesome. I don't know if you remember that movie. Of course, I, Mike. Yeah, we had uh, the, we had the picture up on our, our threesome episode. That's right. Exactly. Um, so outsider Sarah moves into a new house with her family and befriends a coven of teen witches and spooky mischief ensues until it is out of control, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, so I think I've talked about this a bunch of times on the podcast because we have mentioned this, this, uh, this movie um, uh, a bunch of times on our soundtrack episodes. Um, and I f feel like we've mentioned it on some other episodes, too. Um, yep. But I remember seeing this film when I was in college in Denver, Colorado. It came out on May 3rd, 1996. And I remember going by myself, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, even in college. And, and usually if I'm not with you, Maddie, there's a lot of horror films, unless I'm taking my son, I'm going by myself. I, a lot of my friends, you know, uh, besides you don't really care about horror movies. So uh, and, and in college, it was no exception too. I had to go by myself to see this movie, but I remember falling in love with it at the same yeah. time. Yeah, I of think, course. 
I think I saw it one more time before I came home for summer because, you know, uh, as you remember in college, Matt, usually like at the beginning of May, that's where finals, like first week in May is when finals pretty much are. done. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're, you're on your way home. So I think I saw it a second time because I remember finding uh, all my old ticket stubs. I used to save them and like glue them on a poster board. And that's why I have that. Uh, my the, the first time we saw Scream, I have that. Uh, I saw it with you. I have the ticket stub for that night. But I had the craft multiple times. And it was uh, there was at least two tickets from Colorado, which I thought was cool. That I and this is right around the time of our Halloween laser disc that in Westchester University. That's right. You're right. That is right around the same time. So it was right in that spur of us being way into horror again and just loving it. So um, anyway, so when I came home from summer, I remember forcing my friends, you know, back in Jersey to go see it with me, um, and they reluctantly went, and uh, (laughs) I didn't care. I was just like, you got to see it again. So just to have an excuse to see it again, I was excited because. I really did love this. So this is one of those films that the actors, the setting, the plot, and the soundtrack, Matt, soundtrack. as you mentioned, uh, all come together for me. It's like, and I know it, it did for you too. It's one of those like melting pot films where everything makes the perfect batch. You're right. You're right. S- see what I did there, Matty? <laughs> <laughs> Before I get to the outsider element, let's talk about the acting. So you have Robin Tooney, Fruza Balk, Rachel True and Nev Campbell as Sarah, Nancy, Rochelle, and Bonnie. They make like the perfect coven, uh, the characters themselves, because every character is different enough, bringing such a rounded mix of characters to the film and to this coven that they've kind of created, you know, in yes. uh, in Los Angeles. So Sarah is definitely the outsider moving into Los Angeles from San Francisco, right? I think that's where she was from with her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and they moved there because of her father, new job or something like that. I forget. Um, you learn quickly that Sarah's mom died when she was young and you get the sense that her mom was different just like her because you kind of sense that something's up with her as well. So after she settled and she gets some nasty rumors told about her uh, after a date with Chris played by Skeet Ulrich, uh, then she is taken in by a local coven of witches in her Catholic high school. Um, so with power, Matt comes great responsibility (laughs) and just like most teens handling responsibility is not their best strong suit. No, it's Um, not. It's something that you have to learn how to handle. Right. Um, and we have to learn it at a young age and these girls definitely learn this the hard way, Matt. So just like teenage girls, they start to turn against each other as, uh, as their powers grow until it gets real, Matt. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Sarah, as I mentioned before, is different from the other girls because she is a natural witch. So giving her the true power of a witch in the end makes her the most powerful of the coven. And we learn, you know, obviously that her mom was a witch and that's where she gets this sort of natural power from. Um, So some favorite moments for me from this movie is the opening credits. We've talked about it before in our soundtrack episode to hear the cover version of Tomorrow Never Knows by Our Lady Peace. It's like amazing kind of flying through the sky there. I think it's so great. Um, The uh, we've talked about the montage scene before the fun girls montage scene um, where they're sort of dangerous, dangerous type. Yeah, they're doing all their their little fun things and they're they form their coven and they're having a good time. Um I think the end scene too, where they're messing with Sarah in her house. 
um, and they're sort of freaking her out. And then that's where sort of the turnaround comes. Yeah. But I just think as far as like an outsider horror film, Sarah is such a great outsider because she comes into this town in a new situation, learns something about herself, uh, creates this sort of friendship with these girls. They all change to become more powerful together. Right. Uh, and then Sarah sort of overcomes uh, and learns about herself and, and understands where her powers are coming from and, and who she is in the end. Yeah, it's um, great. Yeah, it's so good. So my uh, favorite line that shows how great the tone in this film is, Matt, is Nancy says, I drink of my sisters and I take into myself all the powers of Manon. And Sarah says, that's all? So like a joking tone. Yeah, it's great. I love it. It's so good. They're having such a good time that, you know, that line just says it all, you know, so... Yeah, so I love this movie, Matt. I had to pick it as my number one because uh, as far as an outsider horror film, I think it's uh, a great representation of, of that subgenre that we're talking about tonight. So that was my number one. Oh, that's a great choice, man. Well, that's it. Several panels of overhead fluorescence in the video store go dark. You fumble towards the counter, desperately cradling your tower of tape recommendations from Mikey and Maddie. It's checkout time. But wait! This stack of newfound treasures is amazing, but it's not yet complete. There's always time for one more film. Just one more. But what will it be? Alright, let's get into it. Okay, so my room for one more, Mike. You know, there's only one more that could fit on the shelf. We know this. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I am putting on a tale from 2014. And the dude that's in this movie, the dude that plays the main character, Lou Taylor Pucci. <laughs> Wait, his, say that name again? <laughs> I think his name is Lou Taylor Pucci. He's in the, uh, he's in the, he's in the Evil Dead remake. Oh, my gosh. He's a great, great little actor. Um, his father... In real life, this, this is the actor, right? His father actually took my place as one of the guitar players in the cover band that I, that I was in, in tracks. I swear to God, I'm not even kidding. Are you serious? Oh yeah, because I, I would talk to him, um, and he would tell me about his, you know, how how, son, how his son was doing. And he's making this film and that film. It was really really cool to hear about, um, you know, because his, his dad was a cool guy and a really cool guitar player. But it was this, <laughs> it was this kid's uh, father, and the movie I'm talking about is called Spring from 2014. Nice, and it's shot a lot of it, most of it in Italy. At, yes, beautiful, beautiful the, movie. Yeah, the Amalfi Coast, I believe. Uh, the little um, small town on the water there. It's a slow burn meditation on loss, grief, and passionate love. And the film lives kind of in this dreamy, meandering place, Mike, that echoes what main character Evan is living. His mom's just died of uh, cancer in the beginning of the movie, and it's a mm-hmm. horrible, horrible opening scene because um, they kind of hang on her in bed, and she's just a mess and just awful. But... um you know, he's just, he's, he's a hurting guy and he goes and he goes in back, kind of in this backpacking trip um, to Italy, doesn't know what he's going to end up, goes you know, with these two drunken British guys and he gets in a car with them and they go to the Italy and he meets this girl, Mike, and uh, oof, she is something else. <laughs> she Louise. really is. Yeah, Louise, she, she's, <laughs> she certainly is. So he's obviously the stranger in a strange land. He is the fish out of water yeah. in, in, in Italy. He lost his mother. He lost his job. He needs a change. So, you know, like I said, he goes off to Italy and he has no agenda, Mike. And lust hits him across the face with a two by four in the form of Louise, man. She, she's this beautiful um, girl who he meets and 
kind of doesn't want any to, anything to do with him at first. Um, and she's kind of flirty, but distant. Um, and she has a gnarly secret. As we said before, she's not what she seems. Um, I mean, we all have secrets, Mike, but yes. Louise has a fucking doozy of a secret. Oh yeah. And I wouldn't spoil it. Cause I, I would like not. This is definitely a movie that people, it might've missed the, you know, missed the radar. Basically. I don't want, not want to spoil it at all. Um, but yeah. it's a really cool little film. Um, like I said, it's kind of low budget and it's, um, and you should check it out. It's called spring from 2014. All right, Matt. So that's your film that you, you're gonna you want to put on the shelf. But I've got a movie, and you call me Mr. '90s Matt, but I'm gonna give you a movie that I'm gonna throw on the shelf here to battle against spring, and it's from 1985, and it's a little movie called The New Kids. And Love the new this movie. yeah, The New Kids is a story about Abby and Lauren. Right? Is that how you pronounce his Lauren? Name? Yes, his name is Lauren. Lauren. Yep. Yes, which is uh, interesting. L-O-R-E-N, not yes, Lauren. Yes, L-O-R-E-N, yes. So Abby and Lauren's parents die at the at the beginning of the movie, right? Or, or uh, yeah, uh, they're killed in a, in a, an accident. Yep. Um, and they have to move in with their aunt and uncle, right? In like- uh, Florida. In, in bubble fuck Florida, you know? Yep. And their aunt and uncle own an amusement park, which is kind of an interesting setting for this movie that comes into play towards the end. But- Abby and Lauren make friends at their new school, but all of a sudden they start getting bullied by this guy named Eddie, right? Who's sort of like the local drug dealer gang leader. You know, he's sort yeah. of like everything evil wrapped into one character, you know? Yep. So obviously Abby and Lauren fit very, very nicely in this this theme that we're talking about tonight because they are definitely the outsiders because they're moving into a, a new town, a new setting with new kids and they're trying to make their way, right? And they get wrapped up in this sort of like bully plot, you know? They with, do, yeah. Uh, and, you know, some people might say that this isn't a horror film, but it's pretty horrific because yeah. uh, there's definitely some horrific scenes in the way that they're treated by by Eddie and his gang. But it ends with, I would say, one of the greatest battle scenes that has to do with an amusement park um, that that takes the setting of this where uh, Abby and Lauren are fighting for, for their lives. Basically, yes, to their survive. lives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a fun, fun, fun ride. Um, it's super awesome. I got the, um, it's a great, uh, Blu-ray that I have that comes like a classic VHS cover. Like they, they, uh, make these like classic VHS covers. That's really cool. And it's super affordable on Amazon if it's still available. Yeah. But, it was like eight bucks or nine bucks or something. Yeah. It was great. So definitely grab that. If you haven't seen this movie, I would just cold buy this movie. Because yeah. Tom, Tom Atkins plays the dad who dies. Yes. In the Tom Atkins plays the dad. He's very brief, briefly in it. Um, mm-hmm. We don't get a, any classic Tom Atkins lines really in this movie per se, but it's uh, it's cool to see him. But I think uh, I think this movie is worthy of being on the shelf, not only for nostalgia's sake, but uh, for action plot, you know, sort of tension. Um, I just really enjoyed it. So uh, that's my movie. I'm I'm putting up for our room for one more, Matt. So what do you think? Uh, I think you're going to have to win this one. Why do you think that? Because I would battle for your movie only for the reason of, I feel like so many people, well, you know what? Both these movies, if you think about it, are movies that people probably haven't seen, right? I would argue that, wouldn't you? They're lesser seen, both of them, yeah. But I, I just think yours was probably a little more fun, which is why I think 
it's definitely it's like an amusement park you know based on the location the movie kind of has that feel to it too where spring has more of a serious sort it of does. indie yes. horror film kind of vibe so absolutely i guess it, it, de- it depends on what people are looking for matt you know what it's I mean? very true yeah of course but if you're talking about a video store, think of this. If you're talking about a video store and we have a shelf that, you know, it's Mikey and Maddie's picks for horror outsiders. I don't know, man. I feel like you're talking about a movie called The New Kids. You know what I mean? Like what doesn't say more horror outsider or outsider than that? Just yeah, and, the title and James alone. Spader. James Spader is the town bully. I mean, come on. Yes. James Spader plays Eddie, which is pretty awesome. His performance is great, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I if you if you want to give it to me, I'll take it. I man, do. I do want to give it to you. But I do think that if people haven't seen Spring, I remember seeing it. Remember, it was like on all those lists. What year did Spring come out? Fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. I remember it was the talk, and I remember uh, going. I remember renting it or streaming it, and just being like blown away by it. I was like, "Wow, this movie is beautiful," and it's got a really cool twist to it, and it's kind of a cool story. It actually inspired me to like want to write a movie like this. You know what I mean? Because it was so cool. Yeah, that's really um, cool. I didn't know. Yeah. That. Yeah. So, all right. So you give me room for one more. That's, uh, that's going to be, uh, the new kids from 1985. So guys, we slept, slipped that guy on our, on our shelf here tonight. Um, yep. It's on there now. So, uh, so that's it for us for episode 76 horror outsiders, Matt, you want to tell everybody what episode 77 is going to be, because we're going to be releasing that sooner than later. Yes, episode 77 it's spring Mike. And what better Mm. episode do we like to release in the spring? We have Soundtrack Side 5 coming, baby. I cannot wait, Matt. I cannot wait. And every time we say we're running out of songs, but honestly, I feel like this episode for me, my list is better than my list from last time. Honestly, I found movies that I for, I, I found songs that I forgot about from movies, and I was like, how did I forget this one? So there's some, uh, there's some hidden gems on here that I'm super excited to talk oh, about. Oh, same. Oh, I agree. Totally. It's excellent. So look for that uh, episode 77 coming up next. We have a Patreon bonus episode coming out this month as well. So Patreon subscribers, look for that. And also I'll mention, Matt, this is something that we set up. You can also get our bonus episodes on Apple Podcasts as well. And quick description for this, the people that follow us on Patreon keep paying for us on Patreon because... Uh, Apple Podcasts do not offer any of the other bonus content that we offer as far as videos, uh, our watch-along announcements, um, any any other little mini-episodes that we do. That is not on Apple Podcasts. But for a small fee, you can just get our bonus episode if you want the convenience of Apple Podcasts and you don't really care about the other stuff we do on Patreon, which I think is pretty cool, all the Patreon stuff that we do that's extra. But just wanted to let people know that we are also available for bonus episodes on Apple Podcasts yes. as well. A good distinction, though. They're very different, but still get some cool stuff. Yeah, it is cool. Some people want the convenience of just paying for, you know, right through the Apple, uh, you know, Apple store or whatever, you know, to get us. But um, yeah, Patreon's worth it, I think, for for all the extra stuff we do. So that's episode 76. It's a wrap, Matt. Uh, do you, uh, Matt, we're, th- we're bringing something back. Do you want to leave us with something? If you find yourself alone in the dark, remember that outsiders don't always fit in. Sure, sometimes they end up like Ash heroically saving the day back in medieval times. It's all jolly and stuff, but other times outsiders can get burned for being the naive, well-intended rube. Like the wicker man Sergeant Howie, for instance. Poor guy. (laughs) Was as lost as a nun at a blowjob convention. Sometimes you wish Ralph from Friday the 13th would just show up to sound the warning to these poor outsiders. You're all doomed, and they can all just go home and be safe. 
But not you, dear listeners, never you. You don't need a special pair of sunglasses to see that we are the weirdos, Mike and I. And we wear that badge of honor with fierce pride. And to all you fellow weirdos and outsiders, outlanders everywhere, you will always be invited in around here. Just know that us weirdos love you. You're never really alone in the dark as long as you have us in your ears. Thanks, Maddie, and thanks, guys. We will see you episode 77, Horror Soundtracks, side five. See you soon. All right, love you guys. Take care. <laughs>